0: This programme is based on a feature in Art Monthly's December January Double Month issue 472. That's 2023/24. And the feature is called Auto Destructive Art Antecedents and Descendants. This is the Art Monthly talk show, broadcast on Resonance 104.4 FM and Also available on Art Monthly's website, events page, basically it's a podcast, but it's also available on many podcast apps. So if you search for Art Monthly Talk Show on your podcast app, you will find many programmes going back a long way. Now, the programmes are all based on conversations about texts. The texts are published in Art Monthly magazine and we talk to the writer about what they've written about. In in order to encourage you to read the the text and for the writer to have an opportunity to expand a bit on their ideas from, from their text. And today's programme is based on the issue 472, which is December, January, 2023 issue. And I'm joined, I have great pleasure to say, by Michael Hampton, who is a writer based in London. Now, unusually, we are actually in his house. And we're in fact in his kitchen. Normally, these days, everything is done by Zoom. But I'm glad to say today it is not done by Zoom. And we're hoping the recording will be good. And we are using two microphones on different things, so one of them will have to work. Um, Now, interestingly again, the subject is auto-destructive art. So what I'm hoping is that the microphones will not auto-destruct during the conversation.
1: Hello, Michael. Oh, hello, Matt, and thanks for that lovely little introduction. Yes, uh, we are indeed in my kitchen. (laughs) So, uh, as the 1950s was uh, typified by um, kitchen sink drama, um, perhaps uh, we're in the right room, as uh, quite a lot of this uh, um, talk or or my my discourse actually has its origins in the 1950s, the late 1950s. But uh, to start at the beginning and to give the listeners some idea of how I became wrapped up into uh, the world of destruction in art or um, auto-destruction. Yes, please do
0: tell us about that. I, I, think, I think why people write about things is, is very important sometimes because I know you have been involved in, in this area of auto-destructive art and its various, in, what's the word, incantations?
1: No. Iterations. Iterations, that's the word I'm looking for. So you please do, you, go to you. Yes, so uh, by the mid 1990s, I, I found myself living uh, on a pretty rough Hackney Council estate, and uh, I, had, I had passed through the psychiatric system, the state psychiatric system, during the John Major years. So uh, I'd come to realise myself as something of a, of a destroyer or a destroying angel. I did a lot of paintings at that time and I nearly always uh, cut them up or put them in the bin. And uh, unlike Johnny uh, Rotten, jo- uh, John Lydon, aka a- 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 Johnny Rotten, who, who also around that time was doing a lot of big paintings himself in California, photographing them and then destroying them, I didn't even have, have enough money to, to uh, afford a camera in those days. So most of that work has gone, although a fair number of collages remain and they're all built from fragmentary pieces some of which are leftovers from failed paintings. So by the mid 1990s I, I, I was also acutely aware as I say of, of my own destructive tendencies and I probably was subconsciously looking for some sort of um, validation or, or outlet that was culturally acceptable. When I started to find out a bit more about Gustav Metzger and his uh, practice, and uh, probably as a result of reading a, an Observe, a Sunday Observer review uh, of a show, an Arts Council touring show that uh, was, was um, held at um, Museum of Modern Art in Oxford towards the end of 1998, I decided one day to get a coach, a, a day coach, uh, a ticket, return ticket to Ox- Oxford to just. Specifically, to go and see this show at uh, MoMA. Anyway, I, uh, I turned up at MoMA on a weekday and was um, immediately te- my breath was taken away by the, sort of, the sheer beauty of of the installation because the main gallery there at MoMA was devoted to uh, what uh, Metzger called auto creative art, and uh, that was that was by and large. Uh, a liquid consisted of a, a liquid crystal environment and also a mica and air box. But the main gallery at MoMA Oxford was taken up by the liquid crystal di- environment, which is a series of, of slides displayed and uh, projected onto the wall. Now, as an aside, I'll tell you an amusing story. Because when I uh, first arrived uh, in, the, in the auditorium where, where the liquid crystal displays were being shown, uh, I noticed that there was, a, what I took to be at the time, a technician, of fiddling around with the with the slides because they were very light and heat sensitive, and in fact that was uh, the the uh, the very art the essence of the art of the liquid crystal display was the the unpredictability due to variations in room temperature and so forth, or the heat or the heat the heating up caused by old fashioned uh, slide projectors just plugged into the mains. Anyway, uh, I, I spotted this technician and. Um, uh, I went up to have a chat with him because there was nobody else around and, um, and we fell into conversation uh, about, about what he was doing and he, he started to explain the process and, um, uh, and then after about five minutes I realised that I wasn't actually talking to a gallery technician but I was talking to Gustav Metzger himself. So how funny, how at, funny. At the very outset of our, our relationship and I, I think it's fair to say it was a working relationship, uh, it, it, was based, it was based on uh, cases of mistaken identity. Amazing, amazing. Yes, but at that time, uh, uh, we're talking pre internet, and uh, I've never seen a representation of, i would never seen a photograph of Metzger. So I, I didn't know what, he, no, what he, he looked like. It was just a name, a German name, a Polish Jew uh, a G- a G- with, with a, German, a Germanic name. Uh, and uh, uh, although there is another layer, a le- another level to this, because when I got to know Gustav Metzger better, I realised that he was violently opposed to having his photograph taken casually and being filmed casually. He didn't mind if it was properly set up with, with a, uh, in advance, but he was really against the uh, prevailing notion of um, celebrity and celebrification. And of course, one of the ways that that happened for the YBAs was, you know, a very strategic, cunning use of. Media, with photography, video, etc., as a way to, to promote themselves. And yes. Metzger himself was, he always shied away from that uh, right to the end of his life. Well, I also know that <laughs> later in, much later in his life, because I knew him a little bit eventually, um,
0: well, this is not like a you me fest on how he knew Gustav, but he wanted to, to be in control of his own historification. And I, I, he was very keen on that later in life and was you know, again as you described him, very cautious about and you know, double checking how it was done and all this so that's
1: quite understandable actually what you're saying. Exactly. But to return to the uh, Martin the Murma show, I just want to give a brief description of some of the works that were involved because that that would reinforce the point I make in the article about Metzger's involvement with science and particularly the microphysical world. So the the key the key works there which uh, um, Conform to that uh, idea of you know, art and science being melded together were liquid crystal environment, mica and air cube, and um, drop on hot plate. So, the liquid crystal quote, quotation from the press release says liquid crystals combine the fluidity of liquids and some of the ordered characteristics of crystals. They react to changes in temperature and to the application of electrical fields. Either can alter the alignment of the rod-like molecules which make up liquid crystals, changing their ability to absorb or reflect light. Now the uh, mica and air cube work, which uh, was first, first shown in 1968 and was repeated many times, consisted of a perspex cube, mica flakes, and compressed air. Uh, within, a, within a perspex cube. Uh, and again, the uh, MoMA PR states, as you approach, you break an electronic I-beam, which activates a compressed air pump behind the wall on which the cube is mounted. This blows the flakes of mica around the cube. So there was a very strong kinetic element as well. Uh, and um, Metz was, I think, he was um, keen on sculpture as, ki- as kinetics rather than sculpture as commodity or, or reifying, reifying objects as sculpture. was always interested in, in kinetics, and, um, uh, along with uh, David Madala, who who's a friend and colleague... But
0: he didn't want them to be toys. Precisely. Which is an interesting point, isn't it? When they got close to being like a kind of desktop, clattering ball, swinging ball-type toy, he wasn't interested. But, the, but there were things like Tangley, who, who had made um he burned to work on purpose didn't he in new in New york it was a homage homage to New york and he actually set fire to a work in 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 the museum in New york I believe, and it didn't quite all burn out but that but that that tangley was known for
1: his kinetic art wasn't he yeah so I think meler was, was a bit on the edge in so far as he, he his works were sometimes quite they were quite dangerous they were quite, and, and, and quite hazardous and in today's environment. They probably would have come with a, a health and safety warning, some of them. So, the third work that I want to just brief, briefly touch on was called Drop on Hot Plate. Uh, uh, and that, that was a uh, uh, hot plate, steel rod, water container, plastic tubes, water, metal tube, dimensions variable. And it demonstrates an equilibrium that's always potentially unstable between the supply and consumption mm-hmm. of matter. Constant supply of water is fed through a tube onto an electrically heated hot plate, creating an unstable water globule. Now that that is a superb bit of press press writing there. An unstable water globule, because I think that really does sum up yes. some of the kind of conceptual um, makings of Me- of Metzger's work. Is it, it, it often uh, was hallmarked as unstable and liable to change form as you were actually viewing it. And so there was always in Metzger's work this dynamic relationship between what he was presenting and the public's perception of what, what was going on. And I think that was really intrinsic in, in his practice. The, 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 the other
0: thing that's interesting is, is what date was that last work you talked about
1: made originally? I think that was um, made, made first of all for better books for the window of better books in Charing Cross Road, but it was. Um, well, that's for, interesting because because John Latham. 1968. Yeah, well, because John Latham showed Better Books
0: as well, and I've got a lovely description of the work he did because I'm just trying to think of other artists that you you mentioned all that existed around that same time as Metzger. because he was drawn. <laughs> he wasn't just. The only person oh, no. doing this, was he? So, to be fair, and you do talk about other people, but John Nathan did a, a gradual inflation of plastic tubing forced each consecutive row of books in this bookshop and the jelly to slide out of its shelf and fall onto the floor. So he has a, sort of, a sort of thing that set in motion on a bookcase of books and they are all embedded in jelly. And then this tubing, which is connects with the tubing element of... I don't know. It just, it's just—it's very,
1: very well, interesting that there were others as well. Of course, there was John, John Latham, and his book Plumbing Event, which I refer to in the article. Yes, and uh, that was one of uh, uh, Latham's most important metaphors—the notion of plumbing and, ex- and extending plumbing into the kind of into the into the world into the world of art. And then there was also Robin, yeah. Robin Page, who was part of the uh, Festival of Misfits, and he he actually dug up he actually dug up the basement. In Better Books, and it, and it caused, and, it, and during the during the the action, he he burst a water main, which <laughs> meant that the council had to be called. So, well, otherwise all the books would have got drowned. But well, it was in the basement, which was a space. They were very generous I think, people do yeah. all these well, things in the, that the, book the shop. People, the people show they, were, they, they they often used that space, uh, but uh, I don't think it actually affected the stock. But yeah, uh, again, there were Better Books w- was a, a, a really important countercultural. Uh, focal point in the 1960s and that was in London no uh, it was in
0: Charing Cross Road Charing Cross
1: Road
0: yes. you, you do start your feature in, in in the December January issue of Art Monthly 2023 by sort of well you go back you almost like saying you know well it'd be nice to try and sort of see where where destructive Art did start but you actually go right back to um, pre or was pre, you know prehistory really you're, you're in sort of like Classical history. Classical history, and, and mention about how somebody
1: was encouraged to, to destroy currency. Yeah, well, that was Diogenes the Cynic, as he's, as he's commonly known, who was an outrageous, um, peripatetic uh, Greek philosopher uh, who, who, well, he traded in outrage of one kind or another, and um, he, he, he was known to have lived in a barrel and ate all his food with a spoon. <laughs> Uh, so he was he, he was constantly cocking a snook against society, but it, it's believed that he he, he either altered or uh, vandalised currency of one kind or another, uh, and that made him into a bit of an outcast.
0: But so in, in that way, you're drawing you're drawing the attention to him as a possible, potentially this the, this idea of destruction, which may have a positive element as well as. It's. I'm quite interested because I, I I don't know how much our listeners will know about autodestructive destructive art, but obviously it is physically destructive. Yes. But it's not a pessimistic um, in intent. It, it, I mean, it's it's done by bright people who live full lives. Very, <laughs> they might be very happy people.
1: So you know what I mean? It's not. Yes. Well, there's there's a, there's a spectrum. There's a spectrum here. There, there are there are obviously on one on one hand there's. Uh, on, uh, on, one, on one end of the spectrum, there are disturbed individuals who, um, who, who try to insert themselves into works of art by either destroying them. Uh, and obviously, uh, uh, just oil have, have, gone, have gone down that route um, yes. lately. That's a political act of destruction. Yes. Art. Yes. Uh, and, and even uh, even um, um, more. More commonly, uh, people who try tried to insert themselves because perhaps they're failed artists or they regard themselves as being reject, reject artists. For instance, I've got a, a printout here uh, um, about um, Cornelia Parker's work uh, where she wrapped, a, it was called A Kiss Without It's String, where she wrapped a mile of string around, I think it was probably a homage to Duchamp there, but she wrapped a mile of string around the uh, um, Rodin work, The Kiss, And uh, and then a man came along, apparently, according to this uh, newspaper article, wielding a large pair of scissors, jumped onto the plinth, supporting the sculpture, and began cutting the cord. Um, Anyway, police called to the scene, arrested a 36-year-old man from Notting Hill, blah, blah, blah. Andrew Catanac, a student at the Glasgow School of Art, who travelled to see the show, said, I was absolutely shocked someone had deliberately vandalised a work of art. Etc., etc. his view was in contrast to a member of the Tate staff who was more sanguine about the vandalism. Quote unquote, I'm not bothered about it. After all, it was only a mile of street. <laughs> so, so, there, yeah, on on, on one edge, there's, uh, there's the type of personality who's outraged or, or just an attention seeker. And on the other hand, there, there's there's the actual uh, uh, auto, somebody who's ser- a serious auto-destructive practitioner. Uh, uh, we can come on to that in due course, but I've given a long list of people who I've Yes, yeah, which, which we can
0: always dip into at any time. Yeah. You, I mean, the main thing, for instance, is that people like Gustav Metzger, he wrote two manifestos on auto-destructive art, didn't he? Back in really early, like in 59, I think, was the first one. Um, and then, yes. and then the second one, he, he, he added as well, when he next did a show, not long after, That that's guy Brian Robbins, I was mentioning to you before, um, we, we started speaking for the programme. Brian Robbins, by the way, also suggested using the word auto, and that's where he had his first exhibition, where the manifesto was promoted, in a, in a cafe in Soho, apparently.
1: Yeah, I think also they showed his work, the cardboard. That's right, yeah. Which were found pieces of cardboard. And uh, Metzger carried on... Right through his career, using what can only be described as abject materials. Uh, again, I think that was also a kind of antagon- antagonistic act in itself, because he didn't really want to employ high tech. Uh, and um, uh, he, he, didn't, he didn't want to present you know, works of art that were uh, uh, highly wrought or cosmetic in some way. No, I mean, he used
0: newspapers, yeah, cardboard, precisely. Precisely. water... Yeah, Acid, exactly. plastic, lots of yeah, not not well-known high art materials. No, but they, they
1: could have all been used by sculptors at the time, but they, mm. they, they, by and large, they weren't. They were kind of household. It's almost like somebody looking in the cupboard under the under the kitchen sink and, and, and rummaging around in there for things, uh, and then producing a work of art out of caustic soda and uh, some washing up liquid and, and maybe uh, maybe a few scourers. You know, it's that it's that kind of base. It's base. You, the use of abject materials and uh, uh, the the show uh, from two thousand three a hundred thousand newspapers, which was uh, staged at uh, Bedford House uh, a squat a squatted art space in Spitalfields there's also another example of you know, Metzger's love of, of, of kind of you know, cocking the snook at the art world by using as just something that's totally disposable
0: yes, but it's also possible to remake his work. In the way, because you can just get more newspapers next time. Well, or different cardboard. We had a show, a city Raising guy I used to run, and Andrew Wilson, who's written about Metzger, curated it. And he just, he re represented Gustav Metzger's cardboard yeah. work. It wasn't the ones that, on the wall. It was stuff on the floor. We just got some cardboard boxes from somewhere and, and arranged them. And I, and I really can't even remember if... Metzger was alive at the time,
1: so I think he just took some direction from him or something. Well precisely. You could just kind of just programme... Program an event uh, and uh, give give some instructions uh, uh, almost by proxy, which is a kind of fluxus a fluxus concept, the use of, pro- of the proxy. Well, uh,
0: yeah, what, 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 going back to the article f- slightly, you do mention um, cubism and 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 uh, it's kind of like the history, like where where this approach, this auto ant- destructive approach, comes from. And you you're, you talk about the the machine age, analytic cubism. And Henry Lefebvre calling it shattering for the, for the commonplace of Western art. That's Cubism being, and and also Rainer Bannum. you mentioned. But basically, you were saying that you were mentioning that Cubism and, and Virginia Woolf as well. You mentioned there's a kind of precursors to approach about time. Uh, and can you say a little bit more about about them and their relevance?
1: Well, I, I think what I'm trying to do there is give it a bit of a description of the kind of fracturing modes of modernism and, uh, and the effect of the Great War upon, upon all of the arts. Uh, yeah, and uh, uh, for instance, David, David Bomberg, the painter David Bomberg, uh, I'll, I'll explain in a minute how he comes into the grand scheme of things. He, he created, a, he was a war artist and uh, he, he, he hobnobbed with Wyndham Lewis and the Vorticists. And um, he, he he did a big painting which is very well known, called Mud Bob about about the you know, about the Great War, about the Great War. And um, of course, after the Second World War, Bomberg, who was still scraping a living as a painter uh, and basically still a, a, a real outsider, um, is, uh, was a teacher at Borough, Borough School of oh. Art, and Metzger enrolled in his classes because one Polish Jew spotted another Polish Jew, and they obviously got on for. For, for for about eight years until Metzger split with Bonnburg, but Vorticism, for instance, is a very good example of this kind of breaking up of, uh, uh, under the influence of uh, Einstein and relativity theory and the violence and, uh, and yeah, the violence of the Great War, the machine age, as it were, uh, that was uh, so important to Marinetti and the Futurists in Italy. So there was this, uh, this kind of main main kind of the, the kind of main artery of Western civilization, which was made, kind of based on tradition. Until the first World, First World War, was suddenly the main artery was severed, and so everything gushed out. And, and, and sort of early modernism, from from around that time, and uh, as exa- uh, exhibited by all those names you just you just quoted, um, showed how things were far more complex and fractured in term, uh, in terms of phenomenologically phenomenologically far more fractured and complex than you know, we been led to believe by the artists and painters of the Victorian age, who who now looked, all of a sudden looked incredibly old hat and conservative. Because, but Metzger was a painting at that
0: time when he was with um, uh, that, that, that school in Borough, wasn't he? And, I, mean, I mean, and then and I he was absorbing all that you've said that they would have been teaching him about it. And then he's sort of turned it around in a way. And, and become almost rad- even more radical, really, yeah. formally speaking. Well, I think I, personally, I think he, he, he absorbed some of the energy, some of the
1: Bombberg, Bonberg, David Bomberg's energy, and for his own purposes. And decided in 1953 that he had enough of, of that particular relationship, of that involvement, and was going to strike out on his on his own. And so, during the 50s, Metzger himself was basically living in. St. Earlham, li- uh, King's Lynn in East Anglia, and he he was running a junk shop, and um, um, experimenting, and some of his paintings from that era are all extremely beautiful. There's one called the Table, which is it's almost like a kind of uh, a sort of a symbol of Jewishness at the time, uh, and um, but but progressively he was tr- he was moving away from painting. It it wasn't like Duchamp was suddenly giving up retinal painting. It was like a, it was like a slower kind of exit from the world of representation. Until by the end of the uh, era, uh, 58, 59, when he started to write some of these ideas down, you know, turn them into, into manifestos, Metzger made his first experiment with, with uh, acid nylon. Uh, and, uh, and, those, and those were just experiments. Uh, and I think the first one was publicly displayed in about 1958 or 1959, uh, before the, the notorious 1961 uh, exhibition on the South Bank, but it goes to show that Metzger was evolving the whole time and he was never satisfied with, the, with his own... With his
0: no, that, I think that's true of his whole 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 life. I mean, we did illustrate, not that you mentioned it in your article, a later work, which I was privileged to, to help set up in Paris, and he gave, he wouldn't go, he wouldn't travel at that time, so he gave me all these handwritten notes about how to tell hans Ori to arrange his work, and it was called Um, historic photographs to walk onto, to crawl into. But you mentioned that that, um, images, and he sort of wasn't, didn't use images. He ended up using image, like photography. But with this, this work, like you didn't, you couldn't see it from across the room. You had to walk and stick your nose in the surface by, he sort of forced you to walk behind a piece of cloth hanging in front of it, or crawl under a sheet. I mean, even when he did use sort of the standard image, he didn't present it in a way that was at all standard. I think he welded one behind metal in that modern Oxford show you talked about, which was an extraordinary thing. And there was a performance, I think, of him welding it up.
1: Yeah, quite possibly. And it was, it was all to do with the Second World War, I think. Yeah, well, the historic photographs are, are found photographs which were um, displayed in um, novel ways. Very. And, uh, but to return... Specifically to destruction. Yeah, please I, do. I just thought I'd read out again a, a brief, critical uh, gloss, uh, which comes from the. Uh, there was a lovely newspaper produced by the Laura, Laura Geniar Gallery. Yeah, sadly closed now. Uh, really? Yeah, for the show that was called Exploding Utopia. And um, what date was that show? Do you remember it, roughly? Uh, I think about two thousand and a couple of years ago, wasn't it? Uh, Fourteen. Oh, feel a bit Some, older than I thought. Somewhere around. You read away. On. Read away. Yeah. Um, uh, anyway, there's a description in here of, of the filmmaker Michelangelo Antonioni's uh, Zabriskie Point, which in itself is a, I think is a very good point um, for for you know f- a further examination of destruction in art uh, and um, leads us into the kind of the, the present day. But. Um, here we are. The five-minute sequence in, in Zabriskie Point is marked by Eisensteinian overlapping editing. The house explodes over and over again. A super slow-motion cinematography and the abstract properties of a telephoto lens. Artifacts of consumer capitalism, a fridge, a television set, furniture, food, laundry, detergent, clothes, wonder toast bread, are transformed into kaleidoscopic colours and forms. Accompanied by a manic rock score featuring primal screens and searing guitar solos, The final item to, to be exploded is the library, with hundreds of atomized books floating towards the camera. Can Antonio only be making a link to the opening scene and the explosion of the student revolution?
0: I'm interested that you mentioned library. I'm gonna to be totally um, selfish here and so say you do kindly mention a project I was involved in called Bookend and we don't need to talk about it, but in basically we did a project in a, in a library, and we tried, and it, it was, to me, very important. It was in the library. We, we did things with books, like put plants in them. I think you call us the grow, grow, Bookends Grow Bag project sure. or something, which is an, a, 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 an enjoyable description. It, it, it had videos in the books, but we were destroying the books, and we had plants growing out of books, and the, the people would come to the library to use the library in a normal way and then find these rather unusual presentations and uses of books. But, but there's a you're very interested in, in book art I know um, aside from the from the feature but but you mentioned in your in your piece about duchamp's influence upon book art and you mentioned the unhappy ready-made which was again another one of these precursor works perhaps to, to metzger's um uh, because uh, what what date was that unhappy ready-made was it something like was it really early? Was it like 1919 or something? It
1: was around 1919 to 1920. So you took me a long time before. And tell us what Duchamp did. Well, D- Duchamp was living in Argentina at the time, and his uh, sister was getting married for the second time. And, uh, and so uh, rather cheekily, Duchamp sent a, a, a set of instructions. Um, he mailed a set of instructions to his sister um, to create an artwork, and um, whether she liked it or not, that was her nuptial gift, which was to, to find a particular um, um, edition of a, a book of a school book of uh, of, of um, geometry, believe it or not, which I'd obviously got under under G-shop's skin at some point in the past, and he wanted to probably take out his revenge upon it, and um, to get a particular book of geometry, I'd string it and st- Punch a hole in it, string it up, and leave it on her balcony, in her Parisian flat, so that it was exposed for twelve months to to all the elements: sun, rain, wind, etc. And and that was the work. That was the work called "Unhappy Ready Made," which was so so far out of any kind of paradigmatic norm at the time. It it somehow has got overlooked. Uh, and also the fact that there's no, real, there's no real leftovers or relics there for any kind of dealer or dealer system to take advantage of. And so it's been kind of almost like swept under the mat or it's not, not treated as being ser- a serious piece of Duchamp, Duchampian sculpture. But, but for me, it's almost like the kind of point at which uh, contemporary or modern auto-destruction, especially when it relates to books, and, and here we have to mention John Latham for his, for his Scoop Towers, uh, and uh, piles of piles of uh, uh, books you know, with with kindling, kindling. Uh, uh, the Spectator ma- a magazine, he, which he, he particularly liked to use as, as kindling, apparently. And and so 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 I think Duchamp that, that work by Duchamp, the unhappy reading, was a kind of outlier, and it's not really got enough attention, critical attention. Um, well, no, it, it is basically
0: auto-destructing by design of of a concept or, you know, a rule, do this, it will happen. Um, uh, do you think Duchamp
1: saw it as art? I mean, he probably saw everything he did as art, really, didn't he? Well, it's hard to say, but it's certainly, it certainly a whimsical gesture. But a, a couple of the book artists that I mentioned in that rather long list... Yeah, you do a lovely list, of par- there's a paragraph in the Art of Fe- Feature, which is, it's
0: worth reading the feature just to get... Have this list of names because yeah. you—it's you, it, great.
1: Actually, I don't often enjoy reading lists, but I did. Yeah. Well, uh, that's an interesting thing because because lists are uh, you know kind of in vogue, and um, uh, the thing about lists lists are I mean, normally they're just alphabetical, and so there's no real hierarchy in lists. It's kind of flatness, which is what you did with yours, isn't it? It's alphabetical. Oh, well, I hope it is. No, though. it is. It is. Yeah, I, I, I
0: tried to. I tried to get it. Yeah, done. no, I, I didn't notice straight away. You know, you were on Eleanor Bartlett's car painting
1: to begin with. well oh, right. Well, I, 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 to be to be honest, I'd rather hope that uh, Art Monthly would actually use the list uh, uh, and turn it into a kind of out
0: within the. Oh the, yes, it would have been nice. It would na- actually be a nice sort of artist print or something take, anyway it's in the magazine okay? yeah. people can do what they like with it and these days I have to say you can scan with your phone and extract text from things and then you can do what you like with the exactly, quite easily but so. a couple
1: of the artists in there that are uh, well uh, they, they've been involved with books way. one is Rachel Twedell and um, she uh, I, 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 I've come across her as somebody who, 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 who chucks books she's a chucker of books do you mean in, in public, in view? No, but what she does is she throws books from, uh, you know, top floor or seventh or eighth floor of, ah. of tower blocks and then photographs them as they flutter out into space and uh, disappear and eventually land on, land on the ground. Uh, and she's did a whole series of these dynamic photographs of the books. So, so, so she's somebody who I regard as being very kind of, yeah, contemporary and uh, because there's kind of angst or kind of annoyance or irritation with books uh, as well that feeds it in, feeds into the sort of psychological dimension where, you know uh, uh, somebody can get overwhelmed or overloaded with too many books uh, and decide that they want to get rid of them, or take them to a local charity shop but in this case it's Rachel Tweddell's chuck them from up from yeah high up in the tower block and photographed them in at, at, kinetically again so there's another link there yeah because she's obviously interested in that kinetic identity of an object when you throw it and of course an object as such as the book is it it does fan out so it almost becomes like a like a, a child's airplane made out of a piece of paper it does fan out and, f- and, and fly. I have to say, in Bookend, we made two videos. One was of a book that did appear to fly. Yeah. And we
0: just, it was very cheaply done, just on a bit of string, which you couldn't see. And the other one was, we took them, we were up in Manchester, and they were, de- they were demolishing a library, sorry, Birmingham, and demolishing a library. And mm. we put some books on the ground and just let the wind blow the pages, mm. which was uh, which was wonderful. Mm. Really. I didn't, I, we didn't really know why we were doing it, but we just it was so enjoyable to do it. <laughs> well, again,
1: I, I just think that's... A... Another, another example of, kind of, re- of a reduced authority or a reduced agency of the artist, allowing materials that are have selected and, and installed or, or you know, deposed somewhere to interact with the environment. So it's like a, a reduced agency of the artist. And I think Metzler is also somebody who tried to reduce the kind of agency of the artist and allow the materials to speak for him. Yes, uh, and going back to a hundred thousand newspapers, there's a, there's a very good video you, you can. That's do. A Met, the Metzger work. Yeah, yeah. The, yeah, the Metzger work. hundred thousand newspapers. Which, yeah. incidentally, to, to pick up on what you said earlier, it was repeated it, it, uh, the following year at the, at the Leon Biennale, at the the, uh, the Sucrerie in Lyon. So the whole thing was re- yeah. repeated, but using French tabloids.
0: Wonderful. See,
1: yes. you, you can
0: uh, uh, one you know flexible work, but still has the same meaning.
1: Yeah. Exactly. Although, obviously, uh, uh, I think the way it was presented was, a, was slightly more sophisticated because the, the, the shelving units at in, in, in Bedford House were rough and ready. Let's put well, it the building way. was quite
0: rough and ready. It I, was rough, rough and, and ready. It yes. was great, but I loved all
1: that. It, it was the character of the building
0: was suited to work. I thought.
1: Yeah, it did yeah,
0: Yeah. And you mentioned someone else called Simon Ramirez. Have I got that right? That it's uh, thermal thermal pages.
1: Yes. Well, this is the work that um, is um, illustrated uh, on page. Let me just get this correct. Yes, this is the work that's illustrated on page 11 of the Art Monthly 472. And um, uh, I've been in touch with the um, curator and director of Berlin, uh, the Berlin based Backbone Books. She's called Claudia de la Torre. She's a Mexican woman living in Germany. And I think she's produced some incredible books, and she's she herself has um, uh, worked with the dog-eared pages and and using the kind of the dog ear as a kind of almost a, uh, a shape, a dynamic. Which we mean by a sort of worn out by use. Yes. Which is she's then taken the idea of the dog ear and it and, and flown it into space, so <laughs> uh, in a kind of constructivist manner. But this is another one of her. Uh, 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 books produced by by her imprint, Backbone Books. Right. And um, yes, you, well, you can see that it involves a, a, a film which uh, can be removed at at a point in time, and uh, thermal pages, sealed inside a light protective envelope. But you only get one chance. Once it once it's been exposed, that will literally efface the images of ocean waves. So so it's like a kind of well, you know, a lucky dip. Once you you bought it and you used it, you can't repeat it. So you you could buy it, say, but not
0: open it, and it would last yeah. as long as the plastic lasts. Exactly. Now you also mentioned, just as by contrast, Banks's um, piece, well, which, 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 not not in a sort of positive light particularly, but as a as a as a rather different approach, because it you know his, his his he had this piece of work on sale at Sotheby's or somewhere, and it it, automat- it shredded itself automatically by a Pre-designed machinery in some ways, so and when it was sold, it then started shredding itself, which is all very good fun. But it, you do point out it's sort of rather,
1: rather different. Well, I think it's kind of over-programmed, and I, I, I am a bit cynical about it. It's, it's a bit like a toy, as Mexico would say. Yes, yes. Well, I, I, I suspect—I've I, got obviously no proof, but I suspect that um, uh, the auction house, complicit, knew that might happen. Yes, but
0: I've got no proof Well, it probably added to the value of the thing afterwards, and is, which is another sort of horror in a way, isn't it? Like, because it's like it was a normal Banksy, and then it becomes an unusual Banksy because it did that, and it's got a history of a, an event attached to it as well. So it goes up in more value. Yeah. Weird, whole thing. But uh, this sort of anti-capitalist... Um, I'm, I'm keep, I've got this line written down here, which I like. I can't remember quite where It was to do with Duchamp a non-Euclidean, a straight. Mm. But, but, but Euclidean is a straight line, basically, isn't it? And you mentioned that he, he, he this paper Dushan, the the unhappy red it was a was a, a book of geometry.
1: Yeah.
0: But in a way, everything we're talking about is sort of almost antithetical to this to notions of of a straight line and time being being um you know. Simple and one thing after another, and, and you mentioned Virginia Woolf and, and and her novels of of where time is much more within the person, and, and and you know how sometimes you think, golly, an hour's gone by quick, and crikey, that's this is really really slow. That's yeah, the, well, time that, that's the fourth dimension because it's uh, interesting. In relation to, I'm not very interested in how that fits. How what's time's connection with the auto-destructive art. I mean, obviously, something more my time-based
1: work. So I was That's right. Well, for instance, um, the uh, works by Urs uh, Fisher, who's somebody else who's listed. And incidentally, I, again, just to say a bit more about the list, it's, the list I think is very postmodern, and because there's no real hierarchy, nobody's more important than anybody else, and. Uh, you 're about your, your list in your piece my list or, or lists per se for instance i, I believe there's there 's a book that 's been published recently which just consists of shopping lists that, that are found that have been found at supermarkets so, so it 's very very uh, very in vogue the list uh, but um, uh, and from a list you can actually you can actually treat a list as a kind of manifest now I believe that, that, that there 's a, a, a difference between a manifesto and a manifest. And yes. I think the manifesto was 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 uh, epitomised modernism. You know, all kinds of people produce manifestos, but the manifest, which I think the list is the, basically the the um, the, the, the uh, what what comprises a manifest, is is like something listed on a, on an airplane. Like it's like a, a cargo listed, the, the cargo listing. That's it's a, sort of functional that's a manifest it's a manifest yeah. rather than the manifest By who's on board exactly exactly who, that, the, the people I, I mentioned they are the crew they are the crew and one of them is Earth Fisher who uh, uses wax and melting wax so I think melting wax especially this time of year when people do tend to use a lot of candles is is one way of uh, responding to your question about time and um, and here I've, I've brought out another book uh, to, to mention uh, by Jared, uh, Jared Pappas Kelly. Which you reviewed who, in Art Monthly, by the way. Which I reviewed in Art Monthly. And he, he devotes a couple of pages to uh, Erz Fisher's practice. Um, for instance, um, the largest of Fisher's three works at uh um, I think this was the Vienna Biennale, yeah, the 54th, of Venice, Venice Biennale. The largest of the three works was a, a, re- a monumental reproduction of the rape of the Sabine women, uh, highlighting one of the founding myths of Rome. But, and tucked t- t- to the side is an ordinary looking wax office chair, which also burns. So these kindled objects are watched over by the life-size candle of Fisher's artist friend, and together they collapse over the, saw- over the course of the exhibition as the wick burns down. Oh, so
0: literally the sculpture melts.
1: Yes, they're melting sculptures.
0: Because you also mentioned um, Alf- Alfredo, Ach- Alfredo
1: El- Jarre. After more time has passed. Yes. You see, that's what it looks like. Yes. yes, yeah, like almost like uh, yeah, it's slowly losing its uh, um, uh, coherence. Becoming less figurative, you could say. Yeah, exactly. But
0: Alfredo Jarre also built a building... Scott Hall
1: Kunsthall, didn't he? That's right, yeah. Would you mention uh, it? And the reason I mentioned that, uh, 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 the reason I br- brought it up was because I, I, I tried to um, uh, plot out the difference between first generation and second generation destruction in art uh, culture uh, or practitioners. Uh, 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 Metzger, Latham, Robin Page, John Sharkey, uh, and, uh, and others. They all belong, in my estimation, to the first wave of, yeah. of autodestructive art, and just because it's convenient, I took the, the, the work by Alfredo Yar uh, that was made in 2000 as a kind of uh, quite, uh, as a convenient break in time, uh, and, um, and and but subsequently, uh, the people working in that sphere are, are what I call um, AD or destruction in r 2.0. Uh, and all the people I list in the article, I believe, are Destruction in Art Practitioners 2.0. And um, so that's why I, I use that rather strategically, that yes. that uh, date. That date. David
0: Blackmore. Now, something called Rage Pen, which was done at chisnell you, you cite him, that was done in 2017, I believe. Tell yeah. us about
1: that one. Well, David's, David's been a, co- uh, a collaborator of mine for a few years. <clears throat> Uh, but that was slightly before I got to know him. And uh, he, ha- he had a residency at um, Chis- Chisinau Studios. And what he did was he, uh, he, pr- he protected his studio. He, 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 he basically sort of insulated it. And then he invited a series of... Um, invited, uh, he, he sent out an open call to members of the public who, who, who wanted to come in and destroy particular objects. So sort of what he calls ventees. Ventis. Ventis. Lovely people, people. Yeah, venting, lovely word. Inventing their yeah. So spleen who, or something. Who wanted to vent their frustration out, on to take take t- their frustration out on objects? We invited coming in, and then and then they were they were all, you know togged up in uh, protective clothing and, and, and a mask and a helmet and so forth. And they had their option; they could choose whether a uh, baseball bat or a cricket bat or uh, yeah, uh, other 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 and, or a sledgehammer, and they could basically just. Destroy an object in in a safe environment, and uh, and then David took photographs and, and video of, of the action again, and um, and that's now being made into a book. I uh, say
0: so you're producing a book, aren't you? Um, with folium, yeah, ph- with him. Yeah, so sure. the photo. So you, w- 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 is the photo
1: book those photos? Uh, oh yeah, it is those. Yeah, are, you, are you writing something in it? You? No, I've written a couple of uh, um, text for it, introduction and. Uh, and help to create a bibliography as well. Uh, on that note, it's quite, I think it's quite useful for the audience who want to do more research on the subject. I, I think there are, there are three really useful books. There's the um, Whitechapel destruction, Book on Destruction, the Whitechapel Gallery Book on Destruction, which is in the documents. Yeah, They do a series, don't they? The it's, series. it's one of a series. Yeah, the document series. That's, that's right, really, document series, a really yes. important book. Also, Jared Pappas Kelly's book, uh, Solvent Form, yeah, one that's reviewed in Art Monthly by you. Yes, yeah. uh, and also another excellent text is um, Dario Gamboni's book on iconoclasm. Um, so, so I'd then, recommend those for anybody. Tell well, us a tiny good? bit about that one because that sounds different. Why I can't Yeah, well, iconoclasm that, that ties in more with the show at um, the uh, Tate, Tate Britain, a few years ago, art under attack. Uh, which was um, a series of rooms that showed the leftovers or vestiges of art being attacked, and it featured for instance uh, suffragettes and but it also went right the way back to the Reformation as well okay. and the way uh, and the, the way that um, Henry VIII attacked, her, you know, in the in, the, in the in in that. era. Because of Protestant
0: attacking of Catholic
1: yeah, exactly, iconography, yeah, exactly, and also the new model army, the Crom- Cromwell's Cromwell's uh, army, yeah. but you know, knocking the heads off. If you go, to, for instance, gargoyles. T- if you go, to, if you go to Norfolk or Norwich, for instance, where there's a lot, an awful lot of medieval churches, you'll you'll often find that there are niches where statues used to be, or else where there are statues that have lost their heads. And that was all done as vandalism.
0: It's one of those things with with um, when you come up with like a kind of you know a, a title of a, of a a movement you might call it or like auto destruction. But although it was obviously a, a manifesto by is that it's where where are the edges? I mean, it doesn't matter in a way, but there are the edges get blurred. So I'm sitting here thinking, oh, I wonder if Michael Landy's destruction of all his possessions counts as auto destructive art because he didn't say it at the time, and then there's. You mentioned Cornelia Parker earlier and her shed, exploding shed she did. But the thing is, for instance, with her, she exploded a shed, which I think is film of and you can probably see it, but then she, did, she presented the shed fragments in a sort of aesthetically pleasant way, hanging in the Chisholm Gallery mm. as an object, as a sculpture, really. It wasn't... And it was just probably kept very, very carefully in a crate, yeah. in many pieces, with lots of diagrams about how to put it up again, which is not really, in my mind in the spirit of auto-destructive, in one way, but then the original act was. And it's a bit like with some of, some of Metzger's work. I mean, a very caring show put on, I mean, I an mean, object-caring show put on in Tate Britain, I think curated by Andrew Wilson, with all this work that really, I mean, it, it, it should have disappeared by now. It should have,
1: you know, yeah, well, Frank well,
0: mentioned it, but they preserved it. It's like Kiefer; they, they 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 inject stuff into the straw on Kiefer paintings
1: so they don't so they don't fall off. Well, I mean, were they really meant to do that? No. In Metzler's case, he was very he was very adamant about that, he, and he said that none of his work was really designed to last for more than twenty years, to have a shelf life for twenty years. But unfortunately, uh, uh, and ironically, although the dealer system was one of the things that he was really Constantly um, banging on about, and was was highly critical. of, it, it, After his death, uh, it's inevitable that, that, that the, the kind of the logic of this, of cultural appropriation and reification and commodification takes over, even if it's if it's to you know to do with work that was implicitly destroyed or uh, that, that should have been completely destroyed, as as its logical as its logical endpoint. But uh, uh, th- there you go. That's the old word for you. <laughs> well, we
0: did. I did a program, uh, another talk show based on a feature by Matthew Bowman, which you, which is mentioned in your feature, brief, which is about archives, in a way of, of. Well, there was one in particular mentioned, which I'm, I'm desperately struggling through my bits of paper to get the right title. Can you remember the title of the the archive of of, of auto destruction? Well, the archive
1: of destruction. Is of destruction. destruction in, that's right. It is a, to a flat time house? Yes it's managed by Flatiron House.
0: Yes and that's a re- really interesting idea but it goes with what you're saying is that you know it's a, it's a con, it's an it's an antithetical idea in a way isn't it which is and it's, it's a, it is it's it's the, like a lot of lots of conceptual art for instance was you know in the end it, it it was it was a happening or it was an event or it was a a description of something but then the art it is preserved, even though
1: it's just an idea, and yeah, it's well, it, you know again, it's the art world, and it, yes, it is. Isn't it, it? It's got a voracious appetite for, for, for uh, marketable objects, yeah, whatever they look like, however fragmentary they are. Well, it's the reality of being a lot of
0: artists probably not as well, also not being very well off, and le- needing to to find some way of surviving <laughs>
1: through their practice, isn't it? But what I wanted to say, just to to, to bring things back to. my original encounter with Gustav Metzger was that uh, as a result of my trip to to Oxford um, and the conversation I had with him uh, and he invited me to go to the cafe with him and we probably chatted for about an hour which is typical it's very typical but uh, even more typical was the fact that he then said I want you to come to SpaceX Gallery because it was an an Arts Council touring show and uh, after Momo after Christmas it was all shifted, the whole thing, lock, stock and barrel, to SpaceX, which is another, another a gallery that no longer exists. Yes, it's very sad. Yes. So, and he said, I want you to come to SpaceX and do a gallery talk. And it was, there was no arguing with Gustav Metzler. Yeah. <laughs> you just did it. <laughs> yeah. He's one of those people. He kind of pushed you. In maybe directions that you weren't even where were good for you, but were actually good for you. Yeah. And that was one of his great great strengths, I think. He, his people management and his people skills they weren't orthodox, but uh, but he did force people to evolve and develop and grow. And I think that's a really under kind of under sort of appreciated aspect of of method. Well, well
0: I, I I have to say, his effective work I've made. I've I've made some pretty work that doesn't last long made of liquids and things and yeah and I and I met him in Leydenstone when I had a studio up in the same area as him and went to his house to give me this list of stuff so I ended up you know getting involved with the arrangement of his work when I and, and therefore I read I read all of his texts and I think his, for instance, his writing for me is and I've said it before I think it, it's it, not in this programme, but it, it's as valuable as his art I and mean, his writing his manifesto is mm. great to read as it it, it triggers lots of things in you as you read it as an artist that encourage you to make things and do things you wouldn't have
1: thought of doing. No, and it's it's completely unpretentious. A lot of it's just like propositions that he just lays down. And and in fact, that's one of the things that if you watch the video of 100,000 newspapers, which is online, it was made by somebody called Martin Pickles, you can look at it. You'll see that there's there's a moment in 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 the video where Metzger's filmed, and he's literally just picking up newspapers. And, and chucking them down like that and it's almost like it's kind of spiteful almost like chucking chucking it down in the face it's like a throwdown to the art world and um, yeah sorry uh, no 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 don't say sorry it's wonderful but
0: i i mean we, we're getting near the end of the of our time and it's been i've really enjoyed it i mean I, i'm sure there's more we could say Um, I I want you to have the opportunity to say anything else that we might not have covered. We've got a few minutes.
1: Yeah, well, I'll just, if I may, I I, I actually found recently, I found a handwritten copy of the talk I did actually give at at SpaceX in the end. And I thought I'd just read a little bit of that. Yeah, you do that. It's never been published. Um, But uh, this is from uh, uh, paragraph four. Um, and again it, it starts off by addressing the auto uh, creative works uh, liquid crystal displays the repeated biochemical washes continue to sequence to perform and we are witnesses to an enthralling psychedelic extravaganza extravaganza that has more in common with arthur rambo's poem les illuminations a work predicated on the concept of magic lantern slides than it has with any tacky carnaby, carnaby street retro novelty this is Dionysiac art, lyrical, forever seeking to reassert its peacock brilliance, its formless form, and a, and a remedial counterpoint to Mexica's more solemn, portentous historical photographs. The more so as uh, liquid crystal displays a timeless, integral part of the body, reflecting our autonomous nervous systems, simulating firing patterns in neural architecture which are strangely familiar. This, the secret life of life. Sudden zonks caught its own troughs. So, not only are we invited to dream, but also come home into our own selves with no need to hit the ground running. Art merges with ontology. A pre Socratic note is sounded, which again fits in with Diogenes because he was a pre Socratic philosopher. Each array of color processes in micro relief, they're fleetingly for the first and last time. And again, Metzger comments on this. To quote Antonio Damasio, at each moment, the state of self is constructed from the ground up. It is an essence reference state. But our self, or even better, our meta-self, only learns about that now an instant later, fixing some of the intersections and events, the artist's task. Thank you. Thanks, Matt. Now, well, I've really enjoyed talking to you.
0: I hope the listeners have enjoyed the programme. And we really do encourage you to read... Michael's feature. It's um, as you as said before, number 472, December, January, that's December 23, 24. We do a kind of double issue covering those two months. Um, we do 10 issues a year. And you can subscribe to Art Monthly on your website as a buy page. You click a button or two, and there's various options of doing it. There's even, I believe, uh, a short term, you know, like three month subscription, or you can do a year, and you can do digital, and you can do both. Um, And there's a big archive of of all the magazines which you can get access to when you do a digital subscription. So, for instance, you can put in Michael's name in the search and find everything he's written for us going back quite a long way. Because
1: Michael's written for us for quite a few years now. Since 2009. 2009. He even remembers it. Um, The very first uh, review I did was of John Latham's Distress of a Dictionary great well you could search for that if you get a digital subscription with art monthly
0: um so once more thank you michael hampton and uh, i'm matt hale the host of the talk show my colleague chris mccormack also hosts so there are other programs with him as well available um and we hope you will listen to them all thanks for listening goodbye